It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. You are who God says you are, and there are hundreds of names and titles that reveal your spiritual identity to you. Last week, we focused on 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, which actually reveal four names for God's people that are powerful in their revelation. Let's read it right now. Coming to him, speaking of the Lord Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So last week, we focused on our calling to be living stones that are built up as a spiritual house. And that term, spiritual house, is a corporate title resting on all the people of God. This week, we're going to be focused on what it is to be a holy priesthood. What's the meaning of the word priest? In the original Hebrew language, it's translated from the word kohen, K-O-H-E-N. And that basically means one who draws near. And it speaks of the priest's privilege of drawing near to the presence of God and ministering in the vicinity of the manifestation of the power of God, as happened in the Old Testament. Of course, a priest had to be holy in order to fill that role. So it was necessary for priests to go through many rituals in order to be considered sanctified or made holy enough to minister in the presence of God at the tabernacle of Moses and later on at the temple of Solomon. But all of those rituals and ceremonies to make the priesthood holy under the old covenant pale compared to what makes us holy in the new covenant. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, it says that we should put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when you are born again, you are born holy. And then you work out holiness in your life as an act of worship toward God. In fact, the Bible says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. When holy living is an act of worship toward God and not an attempt to attain a status of righteousness, then it's beautiful in the sight of heaven. See, because we could never be holy by our own efforts. But we put off the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and we put on the new man, that's the new creation part of us, the born-again part of us that is created holy. Just like the opposite is true. When you were brought into this world, you were born a sinner. People think I'm a sinner because I sinned. No, you sin because you are a sinner. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. 
I was conceived in iniquity, and in sin did my mother bring me forth into this world. So there was an impartation of a sin nature that manifested later on in life. Well, in like manner, as soon as you're born again, you're born holy and you are qualified to be a priest in the sight of heaven. Priests function in three major roles. They are messengers, they are ministers, and they are mediators. Messengers, because the Bible says they're the messenger of the Lord of hosts, and therefore they should seek the law at his mouth. In other words, we should have a living word, fresh revelation from God to share with others if we are functioning in a priesthood capacity. And you may say, well, that's not for me. I'm not in a leadership role in the body of Christ. Yes, it is for you. Because if you seek God on a daily basis, reading his word, spending time in prayer, you're going to get fresh insights that you can share with others. And Again, let me emphasize, the scripture says that the priest is, in a sense, the voice piece of truth that God is revealing, because he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, and therefore, the scripture says the priest should seek the law, or the revelation of the word, at his mouth not just in the pages of God's Word, but we should have fresh revelation from Him if we're walking in that priesthood calling. Was God's desire in the very beginning an exclusive priesthood that was reserved to a single tribe? No, that was not God's original desire for the Israelite people. Let me read Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was God's presentation to the nation of Israel of his will for them right before he spoke the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. He told them, if you will obey my voice, well, he hasn't spoken yet. He's about to. In a fiery display on the mountain, he's going to give the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And he says, in advance, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you'll be a treasure to me. God treasures those who fulfill the necessity the necessity of doing certain things to position yourself in a priesthood capacity. He said, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Unfortunately, the people of Israel rejected that. Because when God descended on Mount Sinai and when the thunderclap of his voice went across the desert plains and God said, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a graven image. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And all the Ten Commandments, the Bible said they fled to the backside of that desert area and cried aloud to Moses and said, you talk to us, and we'll listen to you. 
but let not God talk to us or we'll die. They did not want to hear the voice of God. They, they did not want to hear what God had to say because they knew they would be duty-bound to fulfill it if they allowed it to get into their inner being. If they accepted that word, they received that word, came under the authority of that word, they knew it would change their lifestyle dramatically. Maybe that was their motive, maybe not. But regardless, they ran from Mount Sinai. They drew back. And see, the meaning of the word priest is one who draws near. So they did the opposite of what a priest will do. However, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, Moses cried out to the people and said, Fear not, for God has come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. And the people stood afar off. But the Bible said Moses drew near into the thick darkness where God was. So Moses functioned as a priest. He drew near to God and melted in submission to the presence and the power of God that swirled around him on that mountain. Can you imagine how intense that really was? So I want you to keep that concept in your mind that the word priest is from the Hebrew Kohen that means one who draws near. Because we're going to go through some scriptures that use that phrase that indicate certain aspects of our priesthood calling. For instance, Hebrews 7.19 says, The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by which or through which we draw near to God. So the old covenant way of doing things did not fulfill God's passion, which was to make all of Israel a kingdom of priests that drew near to him. But the new covenant changed that because through the experience of being born again, we are made holy and God changes us internally to have a desire for him and a desire to please him and a desire to draw near to him. So the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw near to God. And the thing that qualifies us to draw near to God, to enter into the throne room, so to speak, because the Bible says come to the throne of grace boldly, is the fact that our high priest has already made the way for us, and we're just following him and we receive the impartation of what he possesses to transfer to us. And the next scripture reveals that. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. It says, Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And that's a reference to the water of the word of God, cleansing and washing us. So again, we have a high priest that's already entered into the holiest on high, and now he welcomes all of us to follow him. Let us draw near. Let us have the mindset of priests that desire to draw near to God because the access has been made for us. The open door is right before us. No wonder James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God 
and he will draw near to you. So it's a dual thing. It's a two-way street. If you draw near to God, that's going to attract him to manifest himself to you. Thank God and let it be. Finally, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39 says, We are not of those who draw back unto perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So make up your mind if you're going to accept this calling to be a holy priesthood. Then have the mindset every day, I'm going to draw near to God today. I'm going to come to him because I've had my heart sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And that's sanctified me before God so that I have access rights. And I'm going to take advantage of this wonderful, wonderful privilege. And not just for my sake, because it's all about ministering to God and to others. In fact, I told you a little while ago that priests functioned in three primary roles, and that was as messengers and ministers and mediators. And if we're ministers, we function in the priesthood calling number one to minister to God. Isn't that a powerful concept? Because God told Moses to anoint Aaron and his sons in the Old Testament way of doing things. And God said, anoint them to be priests, to minister unto me, God said, in the priest's office. So their first priority as priests was to have a heart inclined toward God, to minister to God with worship, devotion, love intense commitment, and then out of that ministry to God would flow ministry to people. And really the two uh, are affected by each other. If you only have a little bit of ministry to God, you'll only have a little bit of effectiveness in ministering to people. The more you minister to God, there's an equal sign stuck between that and how effective you are in ministering to people. In the Old Testament, the priests constantly were dwelling in the presence of the supernatural. That was a daily occurrence for them. The priests that ministered at the altar of sacrifice in the tabernacle of Moses and later on in the temple of Solomon were so privileged to be right there where holy fire was burning on the altar and consuming the sacrifices because that fire fell from heaven to begin with. It was not fire of an earthly origin. They didn't whip up that fire by rubbing sticks together or whatever or, or knocking rocks to create sparks. That fire fell from heaven and consume the sacrifices, and then they were told to never let that fire go out. And so it was there on the altar for many years. So when the priests that were in the tabernacle compound looked at that altar, they knew that was God fire burning on the altar. Can you imagine what an intense feeling it was to have a container filled with that fire fiery coals from the altar and bear it into the holy place to set the incense on fire so that that incense smoke would ascend before God and to keep 
the menorah lampstand lit. So that was Godfire on the lampstand. That was Godfire on the table of incense. That was Godfire on the altar of sacrifice. And they lived in that supernatural presence constantly. If we have the mindset of being priests, every day we should quote that scripture. Our God is a consuming fire. Lord, let my life be consumed with the reality of your supernatural presence. Now let me go into seven ways we offer up spiritual sacrifices. And I'm not going to elaborate much on them. You can do that on your own because there's probably a lengthy teaching associated with each one of these. But let me first go back to our foundation scripture, which is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, coming to him as unto a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, we also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Underscore that in your mind that none of what I'm about to describe would be acceptable to God except it's attached to Jesus. And because of our covenant relationship with him, we inherit his acceptability in the presence of the Father. Otherwise, we could not worship God acceptably. We could not thank God acceptably. Our hearts are too tainted. Our past is too corrupted. And we are just disqualified by our fallen state as human beings. But thank God, our spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You ought to stop and thank God over that right now. Now, let me give you those seven spiritual sacrifices. We're not offering up bullocks and goats and doves and slaughtering those animals and laying them on an altar as sacrifices to God. Now, I'm quite glad that the priesthood has shifted from that into a spiritual sphere. Listen to these now. Number one and two are both found in the same place, and that's Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. David wrote that psalm as a psalm of repentance after he fell with Bathsheba, and after Nathan the prophet came to him and rebuked him for his sin. And in that psalm, he said to God, you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. In other words, that's an inferior way of approaching you. Having an animal become a substitute for me in death is not as good as something else that David was about to describe. He said, you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. The word contrite means a heart that is gripped with godly sorrow. It's sorrow that works repentance into us. It's not the sorrow of the world. That pushes you to the brink of suicide. That makes you claim a status of being a manic depressive. No, that's the sorrow of the world. It swallows you up in guilt and condemnation. But godly sorrow is also called contrition. And it brings you to a place of deliverance and restoration. So that's sacrifice 
number one and two, spiritual sacrifice, number one and two, a broken heart. In other words, you're not proud. You're not arrogant over your sin. You're broken before God and a contrite heart. You have godly sorrow. Number three should be the outcome of that. And that's Psalm chapter four, verse five. It says, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. What is a sacrifice of righteousness? It means that you attempt to think righteous thoughts, speak righteous words, have righteous attitudes, and function with righteous actions in your day-to-day living. And the word righteous simply means to be right with God. It comes from a word that means perpendicular or being straight with God. See? So, if all day long I'm monitoring my thoughts and my emotions, my actions, my reactions, and my words to make sure they're right in the sight of God, I may not shout hallelujah, but that is a sacrifice to God receivable in his sight. And it's a spiritual sacrifice, just like the incense smoke curled around from the holy place and went into the holy of holies. So the smoke that was offered by the priests entered a chamber that they could not go to. In like manner, your spiritual sacrifices like incense rise up to a heavenly sphere. You may not be able to go there physically, but your sacrifices can. And then I love Psalm 27 verse 6. David said, Now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I love this verse, and I try to abide by it, because far too often when we go to God in prayer, it's dominated by tears. And what if you only approached your spouse with tears every time you communicated? That would get old after a while. I love it. When Elizabeth comes to me, overflowing with joy, which she does almost every single morning. She's got to feel really bad not to do that because she intentionally starts her day with joy. And I believe we should have prayer times where we offer him the sacrifice of joy. We rejoice in the Lord. And that word rejoice comes from two roots. Rejoice, that means re-experience the joy all over again. Or it can mean return to the source of your joy. I challenge you to offer him a sacrifice of joy today. Don't tell him any bad stuff. Don't complain about any negative things. And don't rehearse in him, in his presence, or rehearse to him all the junk that he needs to deal with that's tearing your heart apart. Try thinking of the things that cause joy to you and to him. See if that doesn't transform your day. Next, number five, the fifth sacrifice, spiritual sacrifice that we're called to offer to God is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I love the message of thanksgiving. A lot of people don't know that the word thank is the past tense of the word think in Old English. Now, it's no longer considered that. Somehow the words took different roads of meaning. But in Old English, just like if you drink something today, then you drank it yesterday, or the Old English words, if you stink today, you stank yesterday. In like manner, 
if you think today, then you thank yesterday. It was a, a rehearsal of what you thought about previously. Well, it doesn't mean that anymore, but there is a connection because, dear friends, if you don't think, you won't think. And it's a powerful thing to thank God and to express gratitude instead of always focusing on what hasn't happened. Prayers that haven't been uh, answered, it seems, by God. Uh, Situations that haven't changed. Shift your mind away from all that negativity and start thanking God for what is good and what is right and what has happened by the power of his hand. It worked for Jonah. Because, see, I believe Jonah died. He didn't just get swallowed by a whale. He died. He said, out of the belly of hell I cried, Lord, hear my voice. Read the second chapter of Jonah. The whole chapter is a psalm of thanksgiving, thanking God for delivering him from the lower parts of the earth. See, he said, the earth with her bars was over me forever. But I believe God brought him back from the dead And he came back to life in the belly of the whale, and then the whale vomited him up on dry ground. But it was preceded with this commitment on Jonah's part. At the end of that prayer in Jonah chapter 2, he said, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. He's looking up at the ribcage of a big fish with digestive juices dripping down on him, and he says, I'm going to sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. You talk about willpower. That took willpower. And he said, not only that, I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I can't save myself. This has gone too far. The only way I'll get out of this dilemma is if God intervenes. And that's when God spoke to the fish, and it vomited him up on dry ground. But He made a commitment to offer God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Wow. He was thankful to God for delivering him from literal flames of torment in the lower world. You may say your life is a living hell right now. We'll start thanking God for your deliverance and see what happens. Then finally, number six, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's Hebrews 13, 15. The sacrifice of praise. That's a spiritual sacrifice that is far more meaningful to God than any of the Old Testament system. Because you could offer up an animal sacrifice or a meal offering and not have a heart that was really in love with God. So the outer actions might not be matched by the inner attitudes. But God was moving from the external to the internal with the coming of the new covenant. And now what's more meaningful to him than any outward ritual is an internal heart that desires to praise him with every day of your existence. And finally, number seven, the seventh spiritual sacrifice is actually you. It's not something you can do like thanksgiving or joy or praise or righteousness or a contrite heart. It's you. Because in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the writer said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be proved that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So there you have it, our calling to be a holy priesthood. Those who dwell in the presence of God, who draw near to God, who offer seven different kinds of spiritual sacrifices to him. Isn't it an amazing thing? In the Old Testament, the children of Israel brought their sacrifice to the priests at the temple, but in this new covenant era, you become the sacrifice, you become the priest, and you become the temple. And that's what 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 is all about. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.